it definitely wasn't my plan originally. I remember when I was 17, I someone was talking about, oh, in order to create wealth, you need to start a business. And I had the immediate reaction of, I, I don't like that idea of being some <laughs> fat cat and I don't think I can do it either. What's up, everybody? Armand here, back with another episode. Today's guest started and sold a company in two years, which led him to catch the entrepreneurial bug. After that, he was realizing a problem that he faced almost daily, and that's that he couldn't get all the way through his morning routine. He would always be checking email, and it would get him distracted, and he didn't know how to keep going. So he went from that to now Jeremy has a three-and-a-half-hour morning routine, which he's able to go through uninterrupted, all through using an app he developed called Focus Bear. He's a really awesome developer, a true indie hacker who started all these companies, created these apps completely by himself, by bootstrapping. Uh, and his hobbies are really cool, really fun, which all have a really sentimental meaning and ancestral roots. I had tons of fun filming this episode. He's a really cool guy. And I hope you enjoy listening to this episode of the Play Hard Podcast. Without further ado, Jeremy, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing awesome, man. So for the listener, this is Jeremy Nagel. Is that how you say your last name? Yeah, close enough, Nagel. Nagel. All right, Jeremy Nagel. He's the founder of Focus Bear, and he is also the founder of Smooth Messenger, which got acquired, and he's an indie hacker. So I'm guessing with Smooth Messenger, you did that all on your own, got bought out, um, something like that. Yeah, I did have a team working with me, but I did it without investors. The company started back in 2018. I was given an idea by Zoho, which is a CRM and basically they do everything these days. They've got CRM, they've got recruiting software, they've got app building software. And they had an integration with an SMS provider that was built with an old version of their API. And they realized that they didn't have the team there to be able to actually maintain that app anymore. So they asked me, because I've done some other integrations with Zoho products before, they asked me to take that over. And I worked with a developer to build out a solution there, which was basically what they had before, but making the UX a lot nicer. Because the, the SMS app that they had previously, it allowed you to send out messages, but you couldn't actually see replies. Hmm. And all the other apps on the, the marketplace, there are about 50 out there already. So it wasn't like there was no competition, but yeah. they're all quite bad in terms of their UI. None of them were anything like what people are used to on their phone. Because on your phone, you've got that nice interface where you see the bubbles on the left and the right. Yeah. You can buy a message. And that seems like a really obvious pattern to reuse in a, a web app as well. I think it's generally used, if you have ever used web SMS, a lot of the good ones will use that same pattern, but none of the ones in Zoho use that. So I, I was going to say, it feels common for like, let's say social media messengers, like they'll use a yeah. similar kind of way, but I'm guessing, is it because Zoho is a, is a CRM and it's more for like businesses, they were just kind of almost lazy with this messenger platform. Is that kind of what you got the feel for? Yeah, yeah. It, it just felt like people weren't really investing in the UX at all, that they built something which was an MVP 
and allowed customers to be able to send out SMS, but it didn't really go beyond that. So it, even though my solution was initially very buggy, just be, because it had, had a nicer UI, people ended up using it a lot more and it started to get some traction. So I realized, hang on, this is already after two months that it had already exceeded the number of users compared to the other extension that I'd built, which after two years, I think had maybe 50 users. And this one got 50 users within two months. I'm thinking, I need to double down on this. So I started spending a lot more time on it, improving it, getting rid of the bugs, making sure that I started getting more positive reviews. Because initially, there were some five-star reviews, but there were also some one-star reviews. I realized I, I needed to turn that around. So I, there was a lot of development that went on when I started, when I launched it in 2020, we were at version maybe 15. And then when I sold the company in February, 2022, we were up to version 1700. So it, there wow. was a lot of iteration that went on. It started with me and one other developer doing the work. And then by the time we sold it, I had five developers working on it. We had a mobile app as well, had a customer support rep in El Salvador helping out. So it was- That's the country my dad's from. All right, cool. Yeah, shout out El Salvador. No, you had me going there when you said 15 to 17. I was like, that's that's a couple good variations. You're like 1700. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you really that was over did you sell recently? Was this uh 2022? I believe is when I yeah. saw you got acquired. Um January, is it? Yeah, more or less. It was about two years from the date that we launched to the date that the acquisition completed. And that it went from being quite small and having in the first month we had maybe 20 customers, and then by the end we had about 500. So there was some some good growth there in, in terms of the number of subscriptions. We were selling it on yeah. a, a SaaS basis where people paid an access fee in order to use the integration. So did the, the Zoho CRM, did they end up acquiring you? Uh, out, like they at first you were doing this on the side to help them out. Then it became more of your own gig. And then they acquired you. Did you always have a relationship with this uh, CRM platform or... Like, how did they find you in the first place? How did you know or hear about this? Mm. The company that acquired it was actually another SMS provider that wanted to break into the Zoho market. So they message media, they're a global company and they've had integrations with Salesforce, NetSuite, a few other CRMs like that. And that's been a good strategy for them that they realize that people don't really want to go outside their CRM to send messages. They want to where they've got all of the information about the customers. So it's been a really good fit overall. I'll talk about Zoho as well in a little bit, but yeah, I've been working now for Message Media since February and it's been really positive experience. I've learned a lot. I I was generally not particularly disciplined when it came to deciding which features (laughs) to build. I just follow whoever was complaining the most. I'd build what they were asking for. And now there's a much more rigorous process of, tracking everything, figuring out which features are are actually used, having a business case around each feature so that we don't end up wasting a lot of time building things that no one actually uses. I did a lot of that. Yeah. So it used to be like the squeaky wheel got the grease, but now you're kind of doing a data-driven way of seeing what problems to tackle. Yeah, definitely. And really thinking about, because now previously, I didn't really care about how many SMS people sent. I only cared if they were paying their license fee to me. <laughs> I'll, 
it, it matters to message media whether people send previously it might have only been 100 per month but now we're wanting them to to see the value of sms and and get more return on investment themselves in terms of normally people use sms because it will lead to more sales that they might try and call someone and normally if you do a cold call then people are going to see it as a, a spam number and they're probably not going to pick up but if you then send an SMS after that and say, hey, I was calling about the furniture inquiry you had or whatever use case they're using it for, that tends to then result in more conversations being had and more sales ultimately. Yeah, so we totally, can... totally get that. As a former mm. cold caller myself, um, we used to... <laughs> We used to check me and me and a colleague of mine. What we used to do is we would call each other every once in a while, because um, I had Verizon and he had AT and T. So we would test our numbers just to make sure that both Verizon and AT and T didn't show up as spam for us. Um, mm. And then we were like, okay, we're good. We can keep calling. But I know, I know what you mean. It is sometimes it'll show up as potential spam, and then that's when you know we had to like change the number on the on the dialer we were using. Yeah, yeah, I, I love those the spam recognition apps because I find it quite irritating to get a telemarketer call. But I, I don't mind if it's generally, maybe if there's an email first or an SMS first, then I might be willing to have a chat. I think that's yeah. more the way that was maybe going. So what what are some of the things that you've learned now, now that you started this on your own, you built a team, you sold the product, but you're still working with um, the company to to kind of did they, I'm, I'm guessing, is it some sort of like you get your full vested money over time or are you working with them because you wanted to like continue with the product? I, I felt like I had unfinished business there that mm. at the time they acquired it, it was basically when they reached out to me in se September, 2021, it was completely out of the blue. I had no intentions of selling it. It wasn't like I had listed it on a marketplace. Yeah. It was more... I had a lot of things in the roadmap that I still wanted to do and I was quite excited about finishing it. And so when they contacted me, I, I thought, okay, I'm willing to have a conversation, but only if they give me a good price and only if I feel like my customers are going to be looked after. Because I had concerns that if someone comes in and buys it, that they might screw it up and make, make the existing yeah. customers really unhappy. And I didn't want to do that because I have almost a... a I'm, I'm almost like a, a friend to many of the customers because we, we've worked together for two years now and they've given me a lot of feedback and they, they've generally been really encouraging and patient. So I wanted to make sure that the transition would work in a, a way that they were going to be looked after. And that's nice. why I'm, I'm here. I'm, I've been able to, to get it to the point now where most of the things that I wanted to do are close to complete, but Still lots of new ideas. I'll keep on working on it for a bit longer. I can't so, really comment on the split of <laughs> how the the payment was made. There's yeah. a non-disclosure agreement in place. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, but, what are So what are some of the key differences you've noticed on working on this product, both completely individual versus now you've been acquired and it was almost like you were the leader and now someone else kind of owns and and directs where that product goes what what are some of the differences you've noticed between that mm. yeah the, the in some ways not a lot has changed because they've been quite hands-off and they're yeah. 
they realize that they don't have any knowledge about Zoho themselves. I might just go on a tangent back to a question you asked before about my relationship with Zoho. Yeah. I was working with Zoho since 2011. I basically, after university, I chanced upon a freelance job connected to Zoho Creator. And I started just getting more and more freelance jobs in the Zoho space and ended up becoming a Zoho partner. That's how I had the relationship with Zoho and I'm still a Zoho partner today. Message Media have realized that they don't have anyone like that in their team and they they don't really know the Zoho market. So they essentially, they let me do my own thing to a, yeah. a large extent, but they there is also some rigor in terms of what I was talking about before of taking more of a data-driven approach to when we want to spend money on development, making sure that mm. we're building the right thing. So that, that's been, it's been challenging in some ways because it <laughs> removes my my ability to, to do crazy things right away, but they still do let me experiment. I've had a few new ideas that I wanted yeah. to try out and I, I just need to have a conversation first and make sure that, that there's some merit to it, that we're not going to go off on a wild goose chase and waste weeks of development on something that they they already know isn't really going to work. That makes sense. And something that's that I'm noticing right now. So to many people, many, many people, the dream would be to start a company, have it be acquired in two years, two years, and that's that. Like they'll they'll keep moving on with their life, start the next thing. Uh, but with you, it seems like you almost kind of stumbled in upon this. Like right after college, you you chanced your way to, as a freelancer to to get more and more jobs in this in the Zoho space and to the point where you saw a problem and you, and you saw a solution and then you put the two together. Did you always want to be an entrepreneur? Is this something that just kind of happened and unfolded uh, as your days went on? It definitely wasn't my plan originally. I remember when I was 17, I someone was talking about, oh, in order to create wealth, you need to start a business. And I had the immediate reaction of, I, I don't like that idea of being some <laughs> fat cat and I don't think I can do it either. But it was something that evolved over time. I guess when I was 22, I had a freelance project which turned into a co-founder role. And I started to realize that I, I liked some aspects of that world. I didn't necessarily like the hustle culture side in terms of working 24-7 and not really having a life outside the startup. But I did like the idea of creating something new and the innovation associated with it. Yeah. So I've, I've tried to adopt the parts of the startup of startup culture that resonate with me, but a bit like what you talk about as the theme of your podcast around still making time for play, still making sure that there's rest involved, that you're not just sculling Red Bulls all day in order to <laughs> keep going. Yeah. And so we can go a little bit more on the on the life balance part of what you're doing in the entrepreneurship world. So you're starting Focus Bear, which is actually a work-life balance app. Uh, from what I gathered, it's more geared towards tech workers and freelancers. Is that because that's a, a space you know very well and is near and dear to your heart? Or is that um, what, what's your reasoning for targeting that market? Yeah, pretty much. It, it's The backstory of it is that I built it mainly to solve my own problem, which came up, especially during the acquisition process, but even before that, that even though I've got Francisco in El Salvador looking after the US time zone, there were still quite a lot of times where I'd have to wake up very early in the morning in order to be able to get up and solve mm. bugs that were coming up. Sometimes got woken up at 3 a.m. when there was a, a big outage and US customers needed my help. 
And I was finding that that was getting increasingly bad, especially when we had the acquisition going as well. And I, I would spend my days talking to lawyers and accountants, and then I still had to wake up really early and deal with US-based customers. And it meant that I wasn't doing the things that actually make me able to deal with the pressures that I was encountering. Because I do really well if I wake up and I go for a walk and I do some meditation, do some yoga, do some exercise, do some journaling. If I don't do that and I go straight to work emails, then I end up being quite irritable and I, I'm not really solving problems in a skillful way. I'm just in reactive mode. Yeah, I, was- I, I totally relate. I One thing I've noticed, Jeremy, and I, I wonder what your take on this is, is um, if I don't do if I don't get to one part of my routine, like for me, it's the one that I often forget, but is probably my favorite is journaling. Um, mm. If that's the one that I don't get to, I'll, I'll tell myself I can do this at lunch. Uh, lunchtime mm. comes around and I'm again, reacting. There's emails coming up. There's stuff, there's stuff that you don't foresee in your day. And all of a sudden it's nighttime. And, and like, you know, you get to that point where you don't really feel like it and you know, you should. Um, but it's like, if you don't get to it in your morning, your morning routine, it's there are certain habits that just kind of go away, like like you you just don't do. Um, and I totally agree with the reactive thing. Sometimes you're, you don't you don't know what what's going to pop up at any point in the day. So yeah, mm. I totally agree. Yeah, I, I was doing the exact same thing that I'd tell myself. I'd again journaling is one of my anchor habits, and I'd tell myself I'd do it at midday after the the big peak of customer support the same exact thing i'd maybe do it 30 percent of the time but the majority of time i wouldn't and i was just feeling like i was on the verge of burnout so i wanted an app that would help me with that experience i was having where i was developing this bad habit of waking up going straight to my laptop and checking my work emails and i i was doing that because there was almost good reason to do it that I'd had quite a few experiences that say there was a, a security incident that happened midway through the acquisition process. Oh, there wow. was this massive bug that happened where duplicate SMS were being sent out. So it was, I had reason to need to go to check my work email in the morning, but I also didn't need to do it immediately after I woke up. There was the, there was a window there where I had at least 20 minutes where I could do some of the things that were good for me, but I just couldn't, I couldn't get myself to do the meditation in those 20 minutes. I just, I'd think I, I probably should, but what if there's something really bad that's happened? I should just check my work emails first and and then I'll do it. Yeah. But it never yeah. happened. I'd, I'd just get into the vortex of email. The funny if- thing is if something bad really did happen, not that that's funny. But if something bad did happen, the meditation would really help you make clear decisions and just kind of like, even if you did take a second pause, even if you just took five breaths, I'm sure that would be better than just diving straight into work. But I do the same thing too. Whenever a morning, like I'll wake up the next morning and I sent an important message. I go to bed early. So sometimes I get replies like 10 or 11 at night. If the first thing I do is check my phone to see that email and start going through it, then I get into the, the whole email scroll and then... I start wandering. I'm like, okay, well, I wonder what's going on on LinkedIn. And that's when I know it's it's not a good start. Yeah. Yeah. Totally the same as me. It, it starts out intending to be just checking for fires and then I end up looking at really unimportant things as well. Yeah. And then the day starts. One thing I thought was really cool is, um, is how... So, you started this to solve your own problem. But one thing is that you have ADHD 
And how is that? That's something that I go through as well. And I was just wondering, like, how does that impact, uh, I guess, your your normal sense of routine and and how you go about business and how you go about companies? Because for me, one thing that I've noticed is difficult is um, the the time at which I do things. I can't just sit down and say, at this time, I'm going to do this. At this time, I'm going to do that. I, it works sometimes, but for the most part, like... I get work done in a weird, weird times, but like when I do sit down, I do it for a long period of time. It's just, I, that's that kind of level of focus is not something I pick. It's something that shows up. How, like, how has ADHD affected you in, in starting your companies? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's probably the reason I have started my companies because I've gotten <laughs> bored with my day job and I've decided to work on other things, but it, the, Areas where it becomes difficult for me if, is if there's something that I'm not particularly passionate about that I, I don't enjoy it, then I will push that to the very back and I'll tend to do things which give me more of an immediate dopamine hit. And checking emails is one of them. <laughs> Fighting fires is one of them. That That's uh, things like actually testing the app before I release it. Yeah. I don't find that fun. Whereas I, I find waking up in the middle of the night and being the hero who saved the day that I kind of, there's probably some sick part of me that enjoys that. And so that I really need to, to watch that, that there's this bad dynamic where I, I said, I don't like Red Bull, but I am almost creating my own caffeine hit. Yeah. I don't really, I don't drink coffee or anything, but I'm getting an adrenaline hit out of these, these situations where things are out of control and I have to step in and fix things really fast. Would you say you operate better in chaos? I I don't, but I feel like I do. (laughs) If if I I look at it rationally, then it's just not a a good idea to be operating out of that that firefighting mode. But I find it fun as well, which (laughs) is the the worrying thing. But I, I found that in terms of getting myself to be able to focus, it's partly that if there's an emergency, then... I get right into it and I can reach a state of hyper-focus very easily. But if there's not an emergency and there are things that need to be done, but there's no real urgency to them, the way that I need to do it is essentially to block out distractions. Because what you described about, oh, just check my emails and then, oh, there's a notification from LinkedIn. And then half an hour later, I'm just scrolling LinkedIn or I'm reading some unrelated article. That's the death of productivity for me. Yeah. yeah, so what I what I found to be useful for me is to use apps like Freedom or Cold Turkey where they block out distractions. And that way, when I'm working, I'm actually only working on the apps that I want to. I found that those apps were good, but they didn't necessarily match the way that I wanted to work as someone with quite a lot of different projects. Because I've essentially, I've got, even now I've got three different businesses. I've got the Smooth Messenger that I'm still involved in. Yeah. Sort of my, my day job. I've got Focus Bear. I've got also a consulting business that is still going. I've got a, another product that I'm building as part of that. Ooh. So there are many different styles of focus that I have. And I wanted an app that would allow me to press play on a particular type of focus. And then it would block out everything else, including my other businesses, which could be productive, but not at the time that I was working on it that if I'm between nine and five I'm working on my day job and I I shouldn't really be doing anything else 
So I've got it set up with Focus Bear where I define what is productive. I list the apps and the websites that are productive and then it blocks everything else. Whereas I found with the other blocker apps, it was more like you put in Facebook and new sites and all the websites yeah. that might be distracting. But there are so many distractions for me, even like Wikipedia can be a massive distraction. <laughs> so something really cool is that you found a way to focus with all these different companies that you're working on. But how do you keep track of what needs to get done? Or I, I guess your to-dos or, or your kind of like what stage you are in each level of these products or or each level of the the companies. How do you how do you keep all that organized? I don't know that I have organized it that well, but I guess say with Smooth Messenger, I started out with a Google Doc where I had all of the bugs that needed to be fixed and then that evolved to be GitHub issues. But the the most honest answer is probably it was in my inbox that <laughs> the customer emails that were coming in saying this is broken. That's often how I would structure it, that I use a an email provider out of Zoho, Zoho Desk, where it's more of a ticketing system. And even though that that sounds bad, I find that it, it actually works okay because I can I can set due dates for each, each for each email where I can say, okay, I don't need to actually fix this today. I can change the due date to be next week. And that works relatively well. It's almost like a to-do list where you change the the due date. Yeah. And one thing I really like they said is that's what works for me. As long as it does work for you, that's what really matters at the end of the day. Um, but that's that's yeah. one thing that's really cool is, is hearing a bunch of people's different styles just because you can kind of pick and choose which ones you like. Um, yeah, and and it seems like that something that I do as well is I have, I use, what is that? Todoist. Um, I don't know if you've heard of that program, but that's what helps me for yeah, the to-do list. Well. Yeah, that's been really helping me. And being able to change the due dates at first, I felt kind of guilty. I'm not going to lie if I didn't get to something. But now, if it wasn't in my top three priorities, I'm like, I'm doing that tomorrow. Totally fine. Yeah. And that's what works for me. I, ma- I managed to get a lot more done. Um, what kind of routines do you have uh, in your day-to-day life? So you mentioned a little bit about your morning routine. You're a big fan of yoga, journaling, meditating. But what is what is a normal morning for you look like? So currently, my morning routine is three and a half hours long. It wasn't always that long at the start of the year. As I mentioned, I felt like I only had had about 20 minutes. And so if we go back to January, my morning routine consisted of five minutes of running, which is just ludicrous. There's almost no point in going for a five-minute run. Five minutes of running. Yep. But I I really like BJ Fogg's concept of tiny habits where he talks about do something that's so small that you can't actually say no to it. He has the example of doing two push-ups or flossing one tooth. Yeah. And I I I, I floss on my teeth, so that, that's not a problem. But <laughs> so you got that checked I, out. Yeah. But the the exercise component of it and the meditation component and the the journaling, at times I I would go and do say a two-hour run. But most days I would do nothing. And so what I wanted was to have consistency to do that activity every day. And that ended up working really well for me. That was the beginning of the Focus Bear app that I wanted. As I said, I wanted the ability to block distractions, but I also wanted something that would guide me through my morning routine. I found that for me, doing yoga is much better if I have a YouTube video to follow along with. 
But if I actually go to youtube.com, then there's an infinite, infinite array of distractions available Ooh. there. Yeah, that so algorithm instead, really knows how to hit you in the headlines for the first page. Yeah, for sure. So instead, Focus Bear, we, we set it up so that I'd choose 10 yoga videos and it would choose a random one each day, five minutes long. I'd wow, do that. Wow, that is cool. Hmm. And I like the novelty of that, that I don't know which routine, yoga routine I'm going to get each day, but I know that it's going to be at that stage, five minutes long. Now it's 10 minutes long. I've progressed it. Yeah. From and how often do you notice bugs in like from your own user, like use case? All the time. So we're uh, similar to going from version 15 to version 1800 with focus bear we're up to version 68 now and most of those bug reports have been from me <laughs> or ideas so it's evolved a lot as a platform and it, it's really helped me because in january 20 minutes long now it's up to three and a half hours long and, and that's basically involved me increasing the duration of each of those yeah. habits Say with running, I'm now up to doing a 40-minute run each day. How consistent are you with the three-and-a-half-hour routine? Are you doing this more mornings than not? How often are you hitting that? Yeah, basically every day I'm doing it. And that it's been a, a process of over time I've progressively increased it. It's what, October now, so I've had essentially eight months or ten months of increasing it gradually each week. I went from, say, a five-minute run, I then increased it to six minutes per day the week after that, and I just increased it by one minute per week. And now 10, 10 months later, I'm in much better shape. I broke 20 minutes for 5K at the, the start of August, and now I'm nearly at a sub-19-minute 5K. So I've got nice. into pretty good physical shape. I'm doing half an hour now of meditation compared to five minutes per day at the start of the year. Generally, everything has increased. I've got time for the things that are really important for me. I do also do some email checking as part of that three and a half hours, but it, it waits until I get through some of the other activities yeah. first. Yeah, you have to do yoga and relax before you can look at your emails. Yeah, that's exactly it. The, my first 25 minutes is I go for a walk around the block, then I do 11 minutes of journaling, then I do some prayer, then I do 10 minutes of yoga, and then only after the yoga, which is about 25 minutes in, then I get a 15-minute block of checking emails. <laughs> yeah. But it, it it doesn't let me do anything else, though. That's the great thing about it, that it, it opens my, my ticketing system. But if I try and, say, go to LinkedIn, it blocks that. Nice. It keeps me on track. So I only really check the important things at that point. Going on a walk before writing is one of my favorite things. I love that you do that for your for your journaling part. Are there any habits you've had to take away or remove from your life uh, in order to be successful? Yeah, well, I guess checking emails first thing is one of the the major habits that I've had to get rid of. And I I like emails are evil in the morning, man. Yeah, absolutely, and even anything related to the phone, anything related to the tech to tech is a bit dangerous for me. So I really like, again, going back to BJ Fogg's book, Tiny Habits, he talks about in order to break a bad habit, you look at the three pillars of habit formation, which are how easy is it to engage in that habit? How motivated are you to do the habit? And how many prompts do you have? 
And for a bad habit, you actually want to make it harder to do that activity. You want to decrease your motivation to do it and you want to re reduce the number of prompts. So for me with the email, I'm, I'm making it harder by having focus there basically stop me from being able to check my email that there's a lot of friction now that if I want to go in and check my email, I can't just click on the web browser and go to that link. I actually have to get my wife to come and unlock my computer because there's a, a password feature on it and I have to go and convince her and say, hey, honey, I'm pretty sure, well, Francisco just called me and the whole server has collapsed and I need to do something. She'll unlock it in that case. But if I say, yeah. um, can you please, I just feel like checking emails, she's not going to do it for me. And I'm not going to ask either because I, I don't, I, I know now I've got the, the lived experience of life being so much better if I do those habits first yeah. in the morning. So my <laughs> motivation is a lot higher. That's so clever. You gave your wife the password so that you mm. can't even, that's something I noticed was a blocker for me when I, whenever I would use one of those platforms to take off certain sites. I was like, okay, well, I know the password, like worst case, I can just like, it's all, it's, it's like trying to lock a door, but the lock doesn't work. You can still just open it and walk in. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, mm. What? Uh, so throughout stress, how would you notice this is impact your handling of stress? How how has these habits? So you before this year handling stress, and you after. How does having this routine in the morning help with that? Hmm. It probably, if we go back to emails again, I would often in the past fire off quick responses to emails that were actually in some ways the tone was bad that I'd be blaming the customer when it was actually a bug with our system. And I wouldn't really be digging deep and thinking about why has this happened? Or if they're reporting, if they're saying that something's wrong and it's not actually wrong, I'm thinking more about why are they saying this? What is wrong with our documentation? What's wrong with the product that they would think that it is broken in this way? And I'm, I'm finding that we're getting a lot more five-star reviews now. People are saying that they're very happy with the way that I'm dealing with situations. Whereas before, Francisco would get all the five-star reviews because he's super patient and he's yeah. really kind. And I, I tend to be more reactive. I, I do fix things, but maybe customers feel like they, they don't like the way that I they that I was fixing it in the past. Whereas now I think they generally have a good experience. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty funny. I love how all this goes back to to emails. Mm. Yeah, well, it's uh, a big part of my work life. I spend <laughs> at least a couple of hours per day looking at emails and mostly from customers, but also from colleagues. Yeah, it's great that you found a, a way to balance that. Did you note, was there a certain point where you were like, okay, this is an unhealthy kind of relationship I have to working right now? Or was it just something that you little by little started changing and then looked back and went, oh, I'm glad I did that? No, I was very aware that it was problematic. It, it was, I, I was aware of it myself, that my sleep was being affected and that mm -hmm. I wasn't particularly happy. And my wife was also pointing it out to me as well that I wasn't making time to spend time with her and that she was feeling that even when I was with her, that I wasn't fully present, that I was still thinking about my inbox, still thinking about the bugs that I needed to fix. And I found that's a, a fair bit better now that we've got as part of my evening routine, I, I go for a long walk with her and we cook dinner together. 
we do other activities like that that I wasn't really making time for in the past. And that's been nice. a, a huge improvement to our relationship. She's a lot happier. I'm a lot happier. I'm eating better as well by <laughs> actually making time to cook properly. Yeah. And I'm ultimately getting more done as well because I'm I'm doing more of the the not urgent yet important tasks that I previously would just ignore. Whereas now, because I've got the super Pomodoro mode, it's called where after I finish my morning routine, I go straight into a, a deep work phase where it's got my day job mode basically activates and it blocks any of the distracting websites. So I get a, a lot more done that way compared to my old way where I just flit around and I potentially do a lot of activity, but not necessarily do the right types of tasks. Yeah, the Pomodoro technique has been a, a really big help uh, for me personally on getting tasks done. But this is, yeah, this is a really awesome, I'm going to give Focus Bear a try just because of how the way you're talking about it. I love the fact that it'll have different modes for different types of work. And then if you're in one work mode, it'll still manage to block off the others. Because I, I noticed that that can become an issue sometimes when you're trying to work on one specific thing, but yet you're juggling like you know, for example, a couple different companies and sometimes it does manage to seep in. So I love the fact that you can just block it all off. Uh, and, and going back to the email conversation is you don't necessarily want it to or expect it to seep in. Sometimes you'll just get an email and you're like, this is something your brain will say, this is something I need to reply to at the moment when the reality is you can give it, you know, you can give it some time to breathe. Yeah, absolutely. Even often 24 hours is fine yeah <laughs> yeah that's very true um okay switching gears a little bit talking about some of the the hobbies you have and the things you like to do so you mentioned some really cool hobbies cross-country skiing let's start with that what how did that how did that start in your life mm, it probably seems a bit weird because people don't normally think of australia as being a, a site of excellent skiing i definitely do <laughs> I guess you don't really have it in San Diego either. I was going to say, I told you early on in the show, the snow is not really my thing So, (laughs) um, before it started. So I'm not very familiar with snowboarding or skiing. Uh, But yeah, how how is that over in Australia? Yeah, one of the reasons I moved back to Melbourne is that it's much closer to get to mountains from here. So we've Mm -hmm. got a, a mountain pretty pitiful compared to North American mountains, but it's about 1500 meters high. It's called Lake mountain. It's about an hour and a half away from where I live. Wait, it's called Lake mountain. Yeah. Is there a lake in the mountain? There isn't really, (laughs) (laughs) but there are lakes nearby just for the, just for the name. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my dad took me skiing there when I was 10 and I fell in love with it at that time that I felt, I mean, I'm, my ancestry is Germanic and I, I almost feel like I'm, I'm coming home when I go to mountainous mm. areas. I spent some time in the Black Forest in Germany and I, I just felt like my DNA is telling me this is where uh, my ancestors I belong here. Up. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I always feel really happy when I get up into the mountains. It tends to be very chilled out and very quiet. It's not like downhill skiing where you're on lifts and you've got thousands of people around you. Typically with cross-country skiing, you might not see anyone for about 20 minutes or even sometimes hours on end, you're out there on your own. I find it really peaceful, really relaxing, and it's a great workout as well. I do what's called the the skating technique, where it's a bit like ice skating on snow. 
So you, you're working quite hard. You're using your arms. You're using your legs. I did a, a cross-country ski marathon last month or the month before in August, and that's been a bit of a tradition for me to really? the last 12 years or so. My dad and I have gone up and done the kangaroo hoppet. There's races in North America as well that I'd like to do eventually. How many miles is that? Is it like a full 26.3 just on cross-country skis? Yeah, this one they ended up having to shorten it to the probably about 24 miles, 38 kilometers, just because there there wasn't as much snow as they wanted. Yeah. But still a, a decent duration. The winners do it in an hour and a half. I did Damn, it. In yeah, I was going to say that is a workout, man. Is it a, is yeah. it a big mental challenge as well? Because I know that's a, a, a big thing with running marathons. Mm, yeah, it, it can be, especially if the conditions get tough. There have been quite a few years where the wind has been really intense. You're getting a 50 kilometer per hour headwind, mm. you're getting snow blown into your face. And it's quite hard in the, the second half to, to keep the correct technique going because it's very much, I guess, running, you can, technique is still important, but it's not that hard to run with correct biomechanics. Whereas with cross country skiing, you really need to focus on are my edges landing correctly so that I'm not edging inwards, which will slow you down. Am I correctly doing weight transfer? There's a lot of nuance to it. And if you don't do it correct, then you still work as hard, but you don't go as fast. So yeah. you're just creating pain for yourself. And I feel like running is side. more intuitive because we all do it. Like we all, you all kind of like just grow up running. Whereas cross-country skiing, yeah, as you were saying, like the technique sounds pretty intense. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think there is still some technique with running that there's this thing called the myostatic reflex where you want your your legs to come back and almost do butt kicks. If you look at the elite marathon runners, they're basically doing a butt kick and a high knee with each step, whereas the, the people who aren't as elite, they're not necessarily using the tendons to as great effect. Yeah. So those guys, they're basically, they're not having to, to actually use muscles for that, the last leg of the as their leg is coming from hitting their butt going back down to the ground that's almost free energy for them whereas for me and for most people still having to work a bit yeah so what is um wh what do you love about doing these marathons like what is your favorite part uh besides connecting to the german heritage of being in the mountains what what do you what do you love about bonding with your dad and doing these cross-country ski marathons yeah, it is definitely a father-son bonding experience. The, the drive up is always really nice. We have that mountains a bit further away. It's a six-hour drive, so we tend to have some deep and meaningful conversations in the car. Yeah. And it it's nice having a ritual that we do it every year. It's an opportunity to test my fitness and see how I'm going. I can already see I'm in the best shape that I've been in for about 10 yeah. years if I look back at my times. So that, that's a encouraging feeling. It's a virtuous cycle that yeah. when you're fitter, it's easier as well and it's more fun. You feel good about yourself. Do you, do you compete? Do you try to see who gets the better time? Uh, I mean, it's a bit unfair because he's a, a fair bit older than me. But okay, yeah. But there is some subtle rivalry. He did beat me last year, but I, I did get a better time this year. And that's why you started the morning routine. Yeah, that was part of it. It was a bit unfair as well because I had a month up in the snow. I was working from Falls Creek basically for the whole of August. And I think that helped in terms of altitude yeah. training 
just getting more time on skis and getting used to that cold. Cause like I've said, that is my weakness. <laughs> um, so the other, another hobby that you do that I think is really cool is carpentry. Uh, what got you started there? Again, with my ancestry, my, my name originally was Nagelhout. My grandfather's name, he came from Holland, basically means carpenter. Nagel means nail and Hout means hammer. And oh, that's so, so cool. there's this long history of he was an amazing sculptor with wood. He'd also make some furniture. I've got a, a table that he made and he, he made, he would, uh, basically use a knife and he'd make amazing little statues of some of them were political satire. Yeah. This one of a past prime minister that we had where <laughs> the guy's nose is really long because he, <laughs> the, the prime minister was lying and it's got a, a juggler. That's a dinosaur. Yeah. Yeah. It was thought that was really cool and, and wanted be, to be a bit like my opa, but I, I didn't have much opportunity to work on that. So I ended up, one radical thing that I did in order to get into that hobby a bit more was I, I took a day off from work hmm. starting in 2018. I went down to four days a week and partly it was to spend a bit of time on the business, but mainly it was that I enrolled in a course at the equivalent of community college where I, I did a an intense carpentry course where every week we would go and learn how to build roofs or set up oh, wall wow. frames. I was there with a group of apprentices who were out there on building sites. Yeah, like functional carpentry, not just making something for fun, but like home building. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that I really loved that. Uh, it's great for me as someone who spends a lot of time on the computer to get away from it and to work with my hands. There's something very tangible about it and it allows me to get into a state of flow much more easily. I think it's really cool that you're hobbies have to do with ancestry in one form or another uh like mm. that's that's a really awesome connection have you have you made that connection before mm. yeah it was part of the reason why i wanted to do it that i wanted to connect with the memory of my opa of the things that he did and try and get into that state a bit more yeah that's oh well now that i think about it i guess my my brothers and I, we all are very musical and like, that's my hobbies. I love playing music and I just realized my grandpa was a musician. So maybe in some form, same as you. Um, so if my, if, yeah, it's in my DNA. If my last name is Uno, does that mean my other hobby is I have to be a really good Uno player? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll start maybe you, competing. When you're kicking off, but you're doing the one, two, three, four. Yeah. Maybe you're, you're the guy who does the Uno at the Yeah. I also, I might just start carrying Uno reverse cards just to carry mm -hmm. around life and just show it. Um, yeah. And then another... not going well, just pull out the reverse <laughs> card. Yeah. If I don't like a deal, I'll just throw the reverse card on the table. Mm. Um, so another one that's that's really cool is you're learning Chinese. Uh, what, what got you started? Do you have Chinese heritage? Is there anything there? <laughs> I, I do now because my wife is Chinese. The okay. learning Chinese is basically an opportunity to connect with her family because she's been in Australia for 10 years, but her family is still in China and they don't really speak any English, which means that if I want to communicate with them, I either oh, have to dude, ask her to translate. Awesome. Yeah. 
And it's been really hard for me because, I mean, I, I can speak German, I can speak a bit of French and Spanish, and those languages felt quite easy to learn because the, yeah. the roots yeah. of English are not that dissimilar, whereas Chinese, there's nothing similar to it. And the, the vocabulary, even though the grammar is really simple, the vocab I find very hard to actually get it to stick in my brain. I've been learning now basically the whole time I've been with my wife for six years. Yeah. And I'm I'm now approaching the point where I, I can have basic conversations. It's wow. really useful if we're in a crowded environment and we need to have a private conversation. I can talk to her in Mandarin and we were buying a house recently. And if we wanted to say something about the house when we were doing inspections without the real estate agent realizing what we were talking about, we could have a side conversation in Mandarin. That was really nice. helpful. Did you ever order at Chinese restaurants in Melbourne in Chinese? Like, do they look surprised when you do that? We don't really go out to eat, but in in China, when we've gone to restaurants there, I have, yeah, I have at times. The challenge is though that with Chinese, even though the grammar is simple, the tones are very intricate. And I'm not really good at telling the difference between sure, sure, sure even though it actually oh, has each radical... one. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. They mean completely different things. So it can be a bit huh. dangerous that if yeah. I order, we might get things that are not <laughs> what we intend. Yeah. That's pretty funny. Do they ever, um, does her family ever comment on your accent? I feel like my family comments on my Spanish accent. It was my first language and I'm not fluent in it anymore. So I definitely get roasted. Yep, they laugh at me. <laughs> at least you're trying, man. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and I do find it fun now. I think I'm at the point now where because I, I can have some degree of the conversation, it becomes more enjoyable and I, I can understand more. Whereas in the past, it was just a, a whole wave of words that I didn't understand. and hard to Oh, I can imagine. But you, so have you always had an interest in studying language? It seems like, like, you know, German, Spanish, are you fluent in German and Spanish? Yeah, I'd say Spanish, not fluent. That was more, I did a bike tour through Spain in my early twenties. Mm. And I, that was to learn how to, at that point, I, I did really need to speak Spanish in order to order food yeah. at supermarkets or restaurants with German. It was something I did at high school and I wouldn't say right now I'm fluent, I'm I'm conversational level, but I don't practice very often. Mm. If I go back to Germany or if I talk to someone in German for maybe a couple of hours, then it starts to click a bit more. But I'm, I can understand very well and I, I yeah. can hold, I, I wouldn't be able to talk about programming, for example, in German, but yeah. I can yeah. have a basic conversation. You should have some uh, Spanish conversations with Francisco because Salvadorian Spanish is just dirty. It's funny. It's just, it's very different. Okay. I'll have to. We yeah. actually have a, a Spanish version of the, the Focus Bear app because there's a, a bit of a, I've got someone who's going to basically promote it for me. He's from Ecuador and he's got this massive YouTube channel. So we, we translated it into Spanish and I've had the app in Spanish for a while. It's been quite good in learning some of the words that I can mostly figure out what it means. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. How many users do you have in Folkspare total? Can you mention that? It's probably in the low double digits at the moment. 
not nice. not a huge number. We we haven't really started promoting it that heavily. We're only now we we've got the Mac app working well. We're working on a Windows app and the the Android and iOS app are nearly ready. The feedback I've mostly had is that even though for me I, I go straight to my laptop, most people aren't like that. They're more likely to go straight to their phone. And so until we have the iOS and Android app working well, it's going to be hard for it to be used by a lot of people. Yeah, I I, I totally agree with that because that's to me it's the phone that all like one thing that I immediately think of is the reason I go straight to my phone is generally my alarm. Like mm. as of late, I got a a physical alarm just so I didn't go to my phone first. But I think that is like the cause of I would turn off my alarm on my phone and i'd be like well i'm here already uh might as well see what's going, might as well see what's going on so yeah. yeah i think some sort of you know blocking the rest of that out for focus bear would be really awesome on the phone version yeah yes it almost works too well at the moment with the android app that it's blocking everything even the apps that i want to use like duolingo so i can do my chinese so we need to ratchet it back a little bit yeah i think it's probably maybe two weeks away from being a bit, a bit more usable but in the meantime i highly recommend there's a, another android app called block i use that so it it blocks out most apps, especially email and social media until later in the morning. And that way, I mean, these days that I don't normally use an alarm, I'm just waking up naturally. But if you do use an alarm, then having block in place so that you can't go and yeah. check what's happening in the, <laughs> the various uh, infinite pools of distraction. <laughs> infinite pools of distraction. That's a fantastic choice of words. I'm going to have to use that somewhere. All right, mm. Jeremy, thank you very much for coming on. I've had a great time talking to you. Focus Bear, is it, I, I'm going to start throwing that around on the show. I hope you don't mind because it's so closely related to what we're trying to do here. And I really like what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, definitely. That's now I have, to- yeah, some advertising. I have some, uh, some quick closing questions. And then after that, we'll be good to go. So real quick, what kind of music do you listen to? I mainly listen to trance music. I use that when I'm doing focused work. If I'm mm. listening to music for fun, then I go back to 90s rock. I don't know why, but I, I haven't really <laughs> been following new music. When I was a teenager, yeah. I, I used to be quite into listening to new releases. And now I'm I'm just happy with Silverchair and some of the alternative rock that I listened to back in the day. What kind of 90s rock? My, mostly Australian artists, so... Silverchair, Powderfinger. Uh, I'm trying to think of what else. I, they're the main ones that I listen to. I guess Neil Finn as well. Some Sweet. of the, yeah, Paul Kelly. Um, well, there was something about trance. I was gonna. Oh, have you ever tried binaural beats? Have you ever looked into that? Yeah, that, that's one of the features we're going to add into the app as well. I quite like the Huberman Lab podcast and he talks about how 40 hertz binaural beats are really good for focus. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's there's this app. Um, I wonder if you can get it integrated with Focusware. That'd be cool. Is Brain.fm. They do a mm-hmm. really good job of being able to customize what kind of binaural beats or like focus music you're getting. So they have a setting for... If you really, they have, they legit have an ADHD setting, like very, like strong binaural beats or like sometimes if you don't want it as like you can lower the frequency, 
but then you can also get very customized on um, what kind of soundtrack. So like, let's say you like nature music versus the beach versus forest versus like, maybe you like reggae binaural beats. I don't know, but they have so many different options. I'm Is a that a thing, fan. reggae binaural beats? I, I could be making that up, but they, they have a variety of different genres. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's a really cool app. That's one that I like to study with. Um, mm. What about any TV shows or movies that you you would recommend? I don't really watch TV or movies at the moment. I, I guess I'm right now we're designing it. We're about to renovate a house. So I'm spending, I'm watching mm. some YouTube videos about kitchen bench tops. I can highly recommend there's this guy who lights kitchen bench tops on fire to test their durability. <laughs> That's I find pretty them sweet. Fire. What about any um, books? Are you reading any books? Yeah, so I I'm reading at the moment a permaculture book. It's called Retro Suburbia, and he talks about how to take a house which doesn't really have much in the way of a garden and how to redo it so that it's got a good garden, that it's got good insulation, that it's set up for for communicating with your neighbors and and bartering food, things like that. I love the ideas in that book. It's massive. It's about 700 pages. I just read a couple of pages every night. Yeah. Very rich. It's pretty awesome. And finally, where can people find you in your app? The app is at focusbear.io, as in dot India October. Sounds good. Uh, and yeah, that's all. that's all I got. Thanks for coming on, Jeremy. Thanks a lot for having me.